welcome, Darren. So I'm really looking forward to the interview with you today. I think our listeners and viewers are going to get a, a lot out of it because we're going to be concentrating on how you have been building yourself out of your physio practice so you're not on the tools all the time. And I know from our discussions that you are quite entrepreneurial and I'm really interested to see where you're going to go in the future as you build yourself out of the business because I've got a sense you'll go and do bigger, grander and greater things. So I want to sort of check that. So welcome, Darren. And just quickly, how long, what, what got you into being a physio in the first place? Well, first of all, thank you for asking to interview me. I'm really honored that somebody's interested in my story. Um, I've been a physiotherapist for, I graduated in October 93 in Johannesburg, South Africa. Um, and I didn't get straight into physiotherapy after school. I, I finished school in 1986. And yep. it took me um, some time to actually get into the course. So by the time I got into the course, I was really hungry for it and always had a passion for working with people and helping, helping people um, through the, the mechanism of human touch, physical treatment, et cetera. So, 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 so out of interest, Darren, like how old were you when you first sort of noticed that you had that interest? I was probably in my late teens, um, probably in the first part of high school. Um, I was quite into gym at the time and, um, you know, we'd get the regular injury and there was a local physiotherapist around the corner, family, friend. And um, so I would frequently attend her practice for, for treatment. And I was always that kid that at the family gatherings, all the uncles and aunts would come past, you know, they'd sit down and say, you know, come, come rub my shoulders because you've got good hands. Yeah. So I think I, I felt comfortable doing that quite early on. I'm smiling. You can see that. I'm smiling because I think pretty much every osteopath, a physio, um, a sports massage therapist, when I asked them how they got started, it's pretty much the same thing. They were playing sport, had injuries, had a great interest in it. By the way, Darren, and the listeners, viewers probably don't know this, but I also have a real profound interest in what you do and what people that work on the body do. A similar story. I played rugby all my life. I'm, as an adult, I played rugby till I was 44, kind of stupidly, and I've got a very damaged body. So um, I have spent years, I'm still in fairly good nick, even though I've got that damage because of all the corrective exercises and things that I've learned to do over time because of people like you. And by the way, congratulations on your country's win in the World Cup rugby. Yeah, thank you. It was an awesome win. It was absolutely awesome. I agree. I didn't see it coming. To be honest, I thought England were going to steamroll them, but we'll move on from that. But yeah, congratulations. So, obviously, and what got you to Australia? South Africa, young physio, what got you to Australia? Um, I had a lot of concerns about um, the long term future of South Africa from a political and an economic perspective. Um, but more so than that was an immediate sense of day-to-day -day danger and my my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife um, was actually very very nervous a lot of the time out in public um, and we were just living with way too much um, anticipatory stress that something would happen and we, we've had people in our close circle of friends and family that have been unfortunately quite badly affected by 
violent crime. And so I just decided that as, an, as a newly married person, before I really established myself um, professionally, that it was better to begin life elsewhere. Um, and Australia was a natural choice because I had some close friends that had already immigrated to Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and we chose to come to Melbourne, which was an awesome choice. And um, it, it was similar in many ways. It was similar professionally, although I did have to requalify. Uh, you know, the seasons were similar, the sports were similar. There, there, was a lot, there was a lot of familiarity that made Australia a much more logical choice than, say, somewhere like Canada or the US or the UK. Definitely. Okay, great. And then, you know, early stages, here you are on the tools. Um, and on the tools, you would have learned a lot because you're working on people. And by the way, I can see that you have a very structural mind, meaning, um, uh, so I've worked a lot with engineers and I can already tell you have a mind like an engineer. So engineers think in structure. Does that make sense? It's funny you should say that because I've got two sons. One is 20 and he's in his first year of um, engineering. And my youngest son finishes his VCE next week and he is applying for engineering. And both of them are very math science, you know, very, um, very skilled in those areas. Those are areas that I feel I have no skill in at all. But I do agree with you. My mind very much works according to systems and structures and boxes and logic. Yeah. Funny, just want to say to, you know, like, uh, you know, with our work and, you know, people know I can kind of read them and, uh, you know, it's a bit out of the box. And uh, so one of the things is that the engineers that come, I've trained some engineers as coaches. Uh, now I have uh, a couple of people involved with GHD engineering is in, in coaching and training capacity that have um, been through our coach training and the engineers, they actually really love this work. Once they get over the, Oh, what is this? How does he know this? Or how do we know this about people? Because the personality is a structure. It's quite easy to work out. You, once you understand that ego is a, a, just a structure. Um, <laughs> we won't go into that now, but it's a structure. It's easy to identify. And if a per person has this particular belief system, this particular emotional pattern, you can kind of guarantee that they will also have these uh, patterns in relationship to the defining bottom line pattern so if it's a trauma pattern as an example it can it can rearrange the psychology or all the systems of the psychology to protect that person from ever feeling or experiencing that trauma again it is a structure okay so darren we're about business today and so here you are on the tools you're learning lots about the human body when did you decide that you wanted to get off the tools and work on your business or in our model, what we call start to move into conductor. Well, you're not a resource in the business, yeah. but you're a controller of resources, mm -hmm. which is of course an entrepreneurial step. Yeah. So I think I probably need to take a few steps back to paint a little bit of a picture in order to fully answer your question. Um, when I first graduated physiotherapy, I worked for an awesome physiotherapist in South Africa who unfortunately is no longer with us. Um, and at that time of my first um, job, she was already treating jaw, uh, jaw pain conditions. So we were putting gloves on and working inside the mouth. And she basically said to me, um, 
if their muscles, bones, joints, ligaments, physios have been treated, it doesn't matter where it is on the body, the principle is the same. And so I always felt that that was scope of practice. When I came to Australia, however, I realized that there were very few people actually treating jaw pain, face pain from a physiotherapy perspective. Um, I went on to study an additional qualification called craniosacral therapy that actually comes from the osteopathic profession. And part of the more advanced work with that is working inside the mouth on muscles and bones, etc. So I guess it was a confluence of a number of factors that got me really interested in niching my work to head neck um, with particular um, focus on jaw pain. And um, so I realized quite a long time ago that from a commercial perspective, uh, it wasn't being catered for. Therefore, there was less competition for that particular subset of patients. But more so than that, the actual experience of helping somebody with pain in their head and their jaw, it's so much more gratifying than helping somebody who has a sore shoulder or an ankle. And I don't doubt for a second that people who are badly afflicted with shoulder or ankle pain might be eternally grateful to the person helping them. I just felt that the level of satisfaction that I got and the, letter, the, le the level of gratification that I, that I received from patients was next level compared to the other stuff I had been doing. And that, that really, um, it, it was the start of me digging a very deep professional hole for myself. Because as the practice started to grow and we, we, we even um, branded the practice so that it was specific. So I have a general practice called More Than Physio, which is a multidisciplinary practice. And then I set up Melbourne TMJ and Facial Pain Center. And it, it was necessary to do that because when I would approach somebody in the medical or dental world as Darren, the physio from More Than Physio, they paid me only lip service. There was really no follow-on of referrals. But the minute I gave the practice in a name that sounded specialized and appropriate, that took me more seriously. So it was an interesting experience for me to see the psychology of it as well. But then what happened was I had to live up to that expectation because if I was calling myself Darren from Melbourne TMJ and Facial Pain Center, well, then I, I better well know everything that there is to know or that I can learn. Um, about that subset of patients. And it was actually quite, um, what's the word I'm thinking? It was actually quite uh, freeing to, to give myself the permission to not have to read every article that came um, un under, my, under my attention about anything that didn't have anything to do with jaw face pain. So I actually felt very liberated not having to spread my focus so wide Instead, I allowed my focus to go really deep. And so I, I just, anything that I could read or do, I traveled back to South Africa and spent time in the practice. I was the only Australian physiotherapist that went to the um, International Conference on Orofacial Pain and Temperamental Disorders in Las Vegas in 2014. Um, and I couldn't get enough. I just couldn't get enough of learning and, and skilling up in that area. But Alluding to what I said before is um, I, I dug a very deep hole for myself because as the practice grew, so I had to expand my day and my consulting hours to fit in these new referrals. And um, Darren, oh, it's just a, 
I, I'm just going to go back through what you've said. I'm going to unpack this a bit for the audience because uh, yeah. there's so much in what you've just said. There's, there's just so much, by the way. I'm excited, right? Because yeah, this is great. This is really good. Okay. First thing, um, uh, one of my clients is named called John Anderson and, and he's now a kind of a premier uh, business person in Australia. He runs a company called Freedom 360. They've been very, very successful. But when I first started with him, um, he would have been about 18 at the, the time. I've, I've, I've worked with him for about 15, 16 years. And he, I worked with him, but at that point he wasn't scaling. He wasn't even thinking like that. He m moved into a niche as a copywriter and he really, really became a top copywriter in that niche. And in his words, he's very thankful for what him and I did together in the early stages because he, like you, and we're going to get into this in a second, was able to charge more than he would if he wasn't a specialist in a niche. But as he said, he became a victim of his own success, which is what you're talking about. And I'm just going to bring this back a little bit because there's two, I reckon, a couple of important business lessons here. And, and there's a psychological lesson here. The, the first thing is, well, I actually go to the psychological aspect, first of all, because when you're communicating, I can see, and I just loved when I could see this, you've got the practitioner part of you, and the practitioner part of you loved learning the special information about this niche. So when you talk about it, there's a joy in that. But not only that, the strategic part of you, the business person in you could see that that niche, that deep niche, that narrow, deep niche, becoming a specialist in that would allow you, and you even brought this in when you said the name, when you used the name, TMJ, or whatever you name, what was the name again for, for this part of your business? Melbourne TMJ and Facial Pain Centre. Great. So, I mean, that's just perfect branding for that niche. So, in many ways, you've been textbook perfect right in the sense of identifying a niche is something i tell all my clients to do identify the niche be positioned as the expert in that niche and you've done that perfectly well done that means you get referral clients that means that uh you know you don't have many competitors that means that you will build up a name and people start talking about you and as you said you even get professional credence Probably doctors hear about what you do and are quite happy to refer and things like that, correct? Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes a patient will come and they'll say, um, I was referred to by my dentist um, and yet I've never heard of the dentist's name before. So that's um, right. I think the reputation of the practice at least has, has spread beyond just our locality or beyond me as a, as a practitioner. Yeah. Now, with that, out of interest, could you charge more? We do. Yeah, of course. So, again, that's just a key lesson that I'll, I'll always teach my clients. And, and one of the things that we, we always communicate about is uh, what, what you want is niches that are, are high-need niches. High-need niche. And, and, and a specific niche is a high-need niche where the high-need high niche has access to dollars. Okay? And... Uh, we can we can bring it down to a pretty simple metaphor in a way. 
if I've got a cold, um, I don't care who I go to, right? I'll just go down to the local naturopath. But if I've got cancer, I am going to seek out the leading specialist in cancer, whether I'm going for the natural therapies or I'm going, I'll probably do both conventional and natural. That would be my approach, but I'll be seeking the leading people in both those niches or in that niche from, from a, from a wellness perspective, natural perspective and conventional medical perspective. That means, cause it's a high need for me. If I've got cancer, high need, I'll do anything I can to overcome cancer. And I've just seen my wife go through that. Right. Same thing. She'll do anything she can. So, you, you have really sort of fulfilled that perfectly high need niche. Now, some of them will have money, some won't, but regardless, because you're the specialist in that niche, you can charge more, build a name in that niche uh, and dominate that niche. Yeah. But then, as you said, the next part is so well done, but you become a victim of that. So can you just share a little bit about what that meant? Yeah. So, um, although over the, the years I have, you know, got to the stage where I've needed to train additional physiotherapists to work alongside me in that part of the practice. Um, the, the income production into the whole practice was, was still very, very much dependent on me. So of nine therapists, not all of whom are physiotherapists and not all of whom were treating TMJ conditions, I was bringing in 40% of the income for the entire practice. And the 60% being generated by the rest of the team wasn't unfortunately enough to meet overheads. And so I was in a very tricky position because I literally relied on my personal exertion, being patient, um, focus, being patient uh, consulting to actually keep the doors open in the practice. And, and, and out of interest, Darren, so who, I mean, that's incredible, 40%. Right? You've got nine other... I think it was nine other team members, but yeah, you're bringing in 40%. What, who was responsible for the marketing for those other services? And, and they weren't specializing in TMJ, I take it. No, so that included remedial massage, clinical Pilates, general physiotherapy, exercise physiology. Um, and so to answer your first question is, I was the one responsible for the marketing. I was the one that where the buck stopped for everything, but I had absolutely no time to do that because up until I started this journey, I was consulting, literally consulting 60 hours a week. Yeah. And, and, and that also meant, that meant leaving home at 20 to um, 25 past seven in the morning to ensure that I got a car park. You don't have that provision that works. You know, so fighting for a car park, meaning needing to get there very early. And on, on Monday to Thursday, only getting home between 8.30 and quarter to 9 at night. Now, Great. I, I just want to slow that down again for the listener. This is really important or, or, or someone that's watching it. So we, you know, we've, we've coined the term a victim. Darren's a victim to his own success because the more successful his marketing, the more well-known he becomes, the more clients he has. And the moment he has more clients, he now has no time to run a business, to do the marketing. He has actually been taken out of the entrepreneurial game. And at this point, um, for 
a lot of people in your industry, Darren, so people that have got into a business that is practitioner orientated and practitioners are passionate people about what they're doing to serve clients. That's what they got into it in the first place for. Yeah, they wanted to make money, but all you guys and girls that do what you do, you do it because you love to help people. What I've seen often at this point, and by the way, it's usually at this point where someone like myself gets involved to sort a business out because the business has had some success, but as the, as the owner gets more trapped in the business, cash flow gets reduced because marketing's not happening. And often what we'll see is feast and famine cycles for practitioners in that position because they can go out and market, but their marketing means that all their time's taken up servicing clients. So the marketing doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden, once you've finished servicing all those clients, you realize, well, I've got no more clients coming in. This might not be for you, but this is typically what would happen. And they'll have to rush back out there and do another cycle of marketing, right? Where there are ways of getting around that for practitioner businesses now. Like when we work with them, we, we, set, we put in place automated marketing systems that just happen without the practitioner owner because then that, that lead um, funnel is just happening consistently, whether the uh, practitioner business owner is um, working, sleeping, what have you. So that sort of takes care of that. But yeah. the other thing I wanted to say is at this point, for a lot of people that have got into business based on something that they love to do, I would observe they start to lose their passion for it because there's just too much pain now in, in what they're doing. They're just working too much. They've got to carry a business. They've got to market. They've got to look after the books. They've got to make all those other decisions, run teams. Did you get to that point where you just felt like? Yes, so absolutely. So, I mean, it's been happening for a long time, but I got back from our two-week annual holiday um, in January last year, so January 2018. And um, I'd said to my wife at the time, I don't know if I could actually sustain this for another 50 weeks before the next break. Um, I was feeling very, very fatigued and, 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 and quite desperate because I had my 50th birthday looming in June 2019, only 18 months down the track. And um, I said to her that I, I need to get to that point and feel like I've got a much clearer picture about what my exit strategy is going to be down the track, as well as have made some major uh, work-life balance um, adjustments that were, you know, very, very overdue. And so I, 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 was, I, was, I was determined to actually... Um, make those things happen. So that was a catalyst at that point um, to, to go looking at uh, other models of running a business that can still serve people, yeah. but you, you have more free time, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you're earning what we consider more passive style of income. Well, maybe ultimately at the moment, I'm you know, still putting in reasonably big hours, but um, I have managed to significantly change the whole nature of my business, the whole back end of my business. Which um, we're going to get into. We're going to know how. Yeah. Um, the, 
when I say that passive, but that is the goal. That's still the goal, isn't it? So that you can have more time off. You might be able to be away from your business and it's still earning good dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. So once you had that catalyst experience out of business, did you have an idea around how you could build yourself out of the business, develop more scale, scalability in the business? I, I think that I, I've been on a journey of self-discovery for a long time. And that's where, in fact, I first met you probably yeah, that's right. years ago. Yeah. Um, when I went to the wellness summit and there were many people consulting to the healthcare industry you yep. know, to adopt their various models. And I, I didn't really do anything very proactive at the time, but I've been, I've, I've known this to be an issue for a long time, but I haven't really freed up my focus to, and I probably didn't feel the need quite as acutely as I did in the last couple of years where I really felt quite jaded. And, um, also quite regretful that I feel like I've missed out on so much of my children's um, growing up because I've had to be the provider. And my wife works with me in the practice on the admin side. So it's really one source of income. Um, yes. And, and, and the buck stops with me. So there, there was that overwhelming sense of responsibility to be that provider. And I knew that if I, put my, myself in the diary, I would get the booking. So, you know, it's easy to feel like you're fulfilling that, that responsibility. Um, and that's something that I'm, I'm still needing to come to grips with as I've come off the tools more and more and facing the eventuality of completely not consulting. I have to completely change my sense of self-worth. Correct. Because on the one hand, I feel good about how many people I can help. That, fill, that fulfills my need as a person, as a professional, as somebody here to, to leave some kind of footprint. Um, but also on the, other, on the other side is to be the provider for the family. But it's come at a, it's come at a really big cost, a time and a focus cost that I, I have unfortunately made not being as present as I could have been. Yeah. Oh, look, a couple of things I want to say to that. I, um... I was at a, oh, actually, I, was, I had a party, just a small party, probably about five months ago, and I had some really good people at the party. And one of the ladies said, I want to talk about the silent epidemic. And I'm like, what's that? And she goes, no one talks about the pressure men feel to provide. And anyway, everyone was a bit drinking there. Everyone was drinking, and they, she had about two minutes, and someone else took over the conversation. But I just remember that struck me. I, I, I went away from that thinking about that. And I thought it is something that's not communicated about much. Mm -hmm. um, and especially in this day and age, a lot of the, the, the female challenges and issues are communicated about um, for good reason. But what you're talking about, it is. That, 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 that's a very, that weighs on men's minds, providing mm -hmm. for their family, the responsibility of providing for the family. The other thing I, I, I want to say uh, that I've observed with you, and, and this, is, this is true for uh, a, a lot of what I'd consider good-hearted people that get into business, there's a problem. So if you're a pure business person, and uh, fortunately I've worked with a lot of pure business people, and I, I like that because I've, I've learned a lot from them. A, a pure business person goes into business in, from the perspective of, and this is generationally wealthy people, which I've been fortunate to learn from. 
they can still be good hearted. They still want to serve clients, but they go in with the concept of building a business, right? Building a business separate from them. Okay. Whether that's a watch business that makes watches, right? It's all set up from the start to, to run without them. That's what they do. A practitioner, they're already set up to undermine themselves on a business level because they come into business loving helping. And so what we'll see, and I've already seen this in you today when we're communicating, you have a practitioner self and your practitioner self feels it gets the most, the, 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 the greatest intrinsic reward from helping the person that's right in front of you. Okay. The, the business, <laughs> you're getting it. The business part of you. So that part can win out and the business part doesn't. And then you'll suffer on the business level and then you'll suffer on the family level. So oftentimes the internal conflict for someone like yourself or someone like me is how we navigate those parts of us that get this intrinsic reward yeah. from the serving the person in front of us that traps us and that's not good for business and that's not good for family and coming back to what you're saying. So when you start to make the shift, it's actually a strong psychological shift and you've got to inspect yourself and see yourself because what you tend to do is want to go back and be with people rather than building the business because building the business means, well, I'm not getting any intrinsic reward from people, but the truth is your business is maybe helping more people Absolutely. Out of yeah. scale, right? So the more successful you are as a business person, I can see you smiling and get that. You actually help more people, but you yeah. don't feel that in the same way. Yeah. Right. And, and this is what I often see will drag a practitioner back into yeah. and undermine what they're actually trying to achieve from a business perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Darren? yeah. In fact, in my conversation with, um, Daniel, who is the um, one of the owners of the organisation that I have managed to achieve this limited um, success with. When I say limited, I don't mean that in a negative way. There's a lot more to still do. But the very first question he asked me in, in, in an interview or in a phone call was, how many people can you currently help? And I said, well, probably you know, 90 to 100 a week of half-hour appointments. Um, but that's the problem is that I'm, I'm, I'm killing myself in the process and I need to find a solution for this, you know, for this uh, lack of, of balance. And he said to me, how many more people do you think you could help if you taught others to do things the way you need them? You don't have to be the person actually physically treating that person in order to be providing help to them through a team of people who you can train and mentor. And, and, Although I've kind of known that on some level, um, it was a real kind of table slap moment for me or penny drop moment for me um, to realize that that can be the only way forward. Um, but, you know, making that happen is that's easier said than done. And as you say, um, learning to adjust my sense of self-worth and, and recognize it in other ways rather than have to physically be treating that patient. That's the hard part where I'm at now because I'm now having those conversations with my patients with, you know, 
Today's the 7th of November and my last day on the tools is the 23rd of December. So I've actually cut back significantly in just 18 months. Um, but now this is where the rubber meets the road because people are starting to say, but you'll still see me, won't you? You're going to abandon me, are you? I've been coming for so many years and I've been loyal and nobody treats like you do. And oh, if you can see, I love this. So this, exactly. is, this is the hard part. This is, where, this is a, yes, I like it. What you said, this is the rubber the meets the road. You got to walk your talk. I, I, I love this. I love this. This, this is textbook. I, I, I love the guy's questions, by the way. Very smart that he asked you that because that was smart. Okay. I love, you can see I'm jumping up and down here. I, I find this subject incredibly intriguing because, again, the principles of building yourself out of the business are actually really simple. In fact, if you knew these principles when you were younger and were and I'm going to use the word addicted to working with the client, but you had to do that. That's how you got your expertise. But if you weren't, you would have found it quite easy to build a business that does run without you having to be there all the time. Right. What you've done is now based on your expertise, you built yourself into the business and building yourself out of the business. Um, again, principles are fairly simple to understand, but it's what happens here. It's the psychology. So in that, oh, so if we break this down, I'm going to just go to a, another example here. So I worked with, a, a, it would have been about 10 years ago, a superstar uh, salon owner, hair salon person. Okay. Now, really interesting because all the different niches that I've ever worked in and, and helped build people out of their businesses, the style of people is really different. So this guy, you don't find him in the wellness industry. This guy's a prima donna. He works with models. He, um, he gets asked to go and if there's, if there's a movie star in town, he sort of go and primp her hair up and he's full of himself, right? Um, really nice guy. I like him. He's extroverted. But as you see, you don't get that style of person in wellness. This is a perfect style of person that you'll find in hair salons. You don't find them in beauty salons, but in hair salons, you can have that really extroverted personality. So he's a, what we call a star profile and he built, his, his business's name on his staff profile. And his, he had two or three staff members and uh, they would charge less and he charged more for his services and he was a star and he loved the adulation. But same thing, he got trapped. And he asked me to build him out of the business. So I start to put stuff in place and I observe he was at the point that you were at we actually got him out of the business and he couldn't stand it because once he got himself out of the business, then one of the things that we had to do, by the way, was change the branding away from his name as a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of you can't see right now, but Darren's nodding because he would have been doing this. We'll get into some of this technical stuff in a second. Um, uh, by the way, Darren, I'm just going to quickly ask you, would you do a second interview with me? I, I just think there's a whole bunch of good quality info that we can extract from, from this. Yes. Would you do a second? Yeah, good. Okay, good. Um, thank you. So, yeah, to, 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 you've got to transfer, he had to transfer his star status to his team and he had to build his team up. Now, someone like you wouldn't have too much of a 
struggle with that. You'll struggle with something else, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but he struggled with that because his ego had spent so many years being adulated that in some secret way on an unconscious level, he actually wanted to undermine building his team up because he felt, well, if I build my team up, I'm not the center of attention. Right? So not only that, but we'll go to the next thing, which is something you may experience. So in the handover, first of all, building the team up. Yes, they're they're. Well, I would get them to say they're better than me. Right? Well, they're actually better than me, um, which he found really hard to say. But in the handing over of clients, he had to address what you're just talking about. But you're the best. You're this. You're that. And they're attached to you. So what I observed with that was that he was also guilted. So the, the clients would guilt him into not leaving them. Now, when I say guilt, and this is really important, I've addressed this myself, by the way. So uh, clients can make us feel like we're the only ones that can help them. Does that make sense, Darren? Yeah. And if, if you've been treating clients for a long time, that's probably how they feel. And so when you have to start backing away from them to hand them over to your team, it's a hard thing because, well, you're the only one, you're the only one, you're the only one. And, and that's another psychological thing to get. Well, am I? Maybe I am. And I think this is ego oftentimes. Um, and we have to see that yeah. because if, you, if you're moving to a more business disposition, you just don't need that ego because it undermines what you're trying to do as a business person. Does that make sense, Darren? Yeah, totally. And, and what we've done is, um, well, first of all, in my training of my team, um, and this was a very early part of the journey that I, that I undertook with um, this organization, which I've mentioned the name to you before, it's called Clinic Mastery, and it's, it's yep. just health, allied health related, so they don't work with anyone outside of allied health, and they're all business owners in their own clinics that have done this journey. Yeah. So, um, what they said to me is if you are wanting to start reducing your hours, you need to make sure that you have proper induction and training systems in place that are consistent, that there's a system. And, and I'm very being very focused in on, on systems and very logical and structured in the way that I operate. I've basically created a replicatable training system, which includes videos, everything. Um, so that I can consistently give that training experience um, and keep it as close as possible until I decide to change it. And so what the line that I've taken with my patients is um, those more difficult ones is I've, I've had, the, I've had the, the physiotherapist that I feel is most appropriate sit in and shadow me on a treatment and have offered to then sit in on the first treatment that the physiotherapist performs for that same client when, when I've had a more difficult situation where people have felt like they're being abandoned. But what, what I've said to the, the physio, the, the, the patients, is that I've made myself, my skill set redundant. I've taught everything that I know to these therapists. What they don't have is my years of experience, but I spend one hour every week with each of them mentoring them. Um, and that's what I can now bring to the team and to the practice is that I can, 
I can support these therapists that they can become, become great therapists in their own right, but with the structure of treating in a fairly consistent way so that that experience of treatment, when people come and see somebody new, or if they can't get in to see me even in the interim while I'm still here, they're not going to be faced with a completely different experience, which is the whole kind of e-myth, um, you know, the whole e-myth book. Yeah. Way, way back when. Yeah. Darren, you're, I want to unpack what you said. There's just so many gems in what you've just communicated. Absolute gems. Okay. So um, first thing, um, I loved how you communicated about how you built your systems out and your, your what you call your induction, your, your training. So you've actually, by the sounds of it, built your training system out based on video. So even your training can run without you being there. Is that correct? Somewhat, yeah. Smart, okay. So for those watching... Yep, yeah. what were you going to say, Darren? Sorry. Before a new therapist comes in, um, you know, I will, I will make the training spreadsheet available to them and say, follow through the steps. It tells you what the key objective is, what the, you know, what the, the indicator is that you've understood it, and then watch the attached video. So all the heavy lifting is done. I still spend hours upon hours with them one-on-one, -on -one, shadowing me. You know, I really invest so much time and energy into them. Yeah. Um, which is what, which was what, feeds into the fear then of, well, somebody can take this and compete with me. Well, we're, we're, yeah, I'll, I'll address this straight away, actually. I want to address this um, yeah. just quickly. What, what Darren's pointing to, and we'll probably get this into this in, the, in our second um, uh, interview. We'll probably really dig deep into some of this stuff. Um, first of all, Darren's talking, he's creating what we call a mini-me model. So a mini-me model is Darren is training more Darrens, right? So that they can service the clients. I've even the, got a name for it, Terry, and I'm not sure based on what you said earlier whether that's a good or a bad thing, but I've actually, I've actually called my approach, the Gorelsky, that's my surname, cranio meaning skull, mandibular method. Gorelsky cranial mandibular method. Well, well, I I like that you've done that because I think if and we know I do know because we had that conversation before we into the interview that maybe one of your next moves uh, is taking what you're doing with your practitioners now and then modeling that, scaling it, and potentially you could take it worldwide. Um, yeah. And so it, it, it's different when a, a scalable training is based on a person's name than uh, 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 when you're working with a client one-on-one. So, so as an example for me with my business, Darren, um, because my business is personality driven, it's okay to have my name on it because my structures, once a client comes to us, it, there's so much scale in what we do that I'm not getting trapped by using my name it may have implications from an exit strategy perspective, but they're things I'm aware of and took into account when I took this approach. Um, so sometimes naming will really help positioning at that next level because the positioning is based on who you are, your expertise, your years of training. So I think it works for that type of business model. Yeah. And just coming back to what, what I want to warn 
people of. And it's something that Darren has already sort of hinted at he's afraid of. Many me models are, in my opinion, the worst of the scalable models. Now, they're the worst of the scalable models. Sorry, Darren, right? But it's like many me models. So when you're growing and scaling a business, the less people you have involved in that business from an IP perspective, the safer your business is. Now, what do we mean about that? I'll just be clear for those. Um, I'll just break that down even more. I know, I know you understand down. This is more for the listener here. If, as an example, in my business, if I train out 100 uh, practitioners or 20 practitioners in what I do, and I'm not training them to go out there into the world and teach and coach. I need them in my business. That means I'm reliant on them to serve my clients. Already there's a risk factor because there's a huge difference between software and human beings. Software, if I buy the software, yes, it can break down and gets fixed. I do never have to worry about that software running off and starting up their own business or running off with their, their, their or not, or being sick or underperforming. Now, we have, Darren, right, really incredible recruitment systems um, that really help a person who's employing define someone's value system. So we're really good at building teams out and making sure that we've got the right people on the team. But regardless, even with the right people on your team, Helena gets pregnant, right? Software systems don't get pregnant. Um, and, and so just to bring this even to a more grounded way. So when we talk about software systems, so educational content is an example where people are paying for education uh, that's software driven and there's no risk in that. Yeah. And so you're, you're probably right to fear uh, elements of, of your model and yeah, you, you have a right to, I can, I, I can see why. Um, but another thing, and I'm just going back because you did, communicate some absolute gems so here Darren is he's got his training for his practitioners coming to his business and he's handing his clients on to these practitioners now right this, this is just important so he's developed IP it's training IP and as I said before so that training IP is used in his own business but that can be reconstituted to sell to people all over the world that training he can he can build a following and an expertise and, and reach hundreds of thousands of people through taking that information he's using in his present business and remodeling it commercially out there and to train others. And he'll charge him a training fee as an example. The other smart thing is in Darren's training, he's, he's committed to as much of it as possible to uh, paper and to video, which means that when he's asleep, one of his practitioners could be doing that training um, and so this scale and leverage and that it, it, it's, it means he does the work once and he's building assets. This is, this is what we call leveraging time. So as Darren gets more free time, he can leverage time. Now let me explain what leveraging time actually means. When Darren works with a client one-to-one, -one, there's no leverage of time. There's no added value to the business really other 
well, he'll get repeat, repeat clientele from that and people will say he's done a really good job and he'll get clients from it. But he's actually trading time for money. There's not much leverage in it. When he does the books, and I hope he's not, um, there's no leverage in that. Yeah. When we move a person from te technician stage to conductor stage, we really educate them about leveraging time, which is what you've done. So leveraging time is you build assets. Now, those assets will make money without you. You put the time into building the assets so it makes the money without you. So this is, you get that, Darren. So just, I'm just yeah, going yeah. to show some of the listeners and, 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 and viewers what I mean by that. So as an example, I'll bring myself in here, a, a webinar. If I spend five hours developing a webinar, I've got a webinar out there at the moment that's lead genning for me and it lead gens for me when I'm asleep, when I'm awake. That was leveraging time because that's an asset that keeps producing for me. If I um, set up a new software system that um, handles lead flow effectively and, you know, I might spend 30 hours doing that, but that system will work for me forever. I, I can be asleep and that system's working for me. That's leveraging um, um, time and all entrepreneurs understand leveraging time because that's yeah. what builds out the value of the business. Yeah. So, so brilliant. And, oh, there's one other thing I want to say, sorry, Darren, because you just said so many good things. The, the other thing, point. can I make one yep. comment? On that yeah, point? yeah, go for it. So, go for it. So what, what, what we talk about very early on in this academy process is having $10, $100 and $1,000 per hour tasks. Yep. And most practitioners are starting off um, doing majority of their time doing $100 hour tasks because that's your consulting. $10 hour tasks are unforgivable. That's doing something that's not producing an income that somebody else is probably better suited to do, which is what you're saying. I hope you're not doing books. Um, and we don't spend any of the time you know, doing $1,000 hour tasks, which is exactly what you're describing, is the value of that hour will produce a return on the investment beyond just that face-to-face -face consulting time. So would that be, that would be analogous to what you're saying? Oh, it's exactly that. So it's interesting the terminology they use. So we use terms like highest dollar, uh, highest dollar productive zone, yeah. right? Your lowest dollar productive zone, similar things. The other brilliant thing that, I, that you said before, which I loved, is how you're able to package your story to hand the clients over. So as an example, uh, these guys have been trained by me. The, these guys, I've spent hours and hours building their skill sets up. This is what you're able to tell your uh, clients that are wanting to hang on to you. Yeah. And you've got your strategy that, um, and I'm going to sit in with the first one with you. And if there's any real issues or challenges that they can't handle, I'll be there for you is probably another thing that you might say. Yeah. So these are ways that you start to hand clients over. I just love the way that you communicated yeah. that and how that's a transfer of trust. Transfer of trust. I love that. Um, one of the things I do, because uh, there are some similarities, um, my team who are really adept like yours, really adept at what they do. Um, my skill set in reading someone, they can all read people. Um, but I am just lightning fast. Um, so 
when people first start with us, I'm going to be spending time with them, really getting to understand them, help them. One of my coaches will sit in with me. Usually it's Georgina and she's, we're both working with the client. Then Georgina takes them through our, our foundational training processes. And after that, I'll come back in. Once Georgina says I come back in and at that stage they've developed themselves and I'll come back in and use my expertise core skill set to read them, to help, them identify their next stage of development as a business person. So this is from the psychological perspective. So this. Uh -oh. Sorry, I lost you there for a second. You were yeah, there was there was a dropout. Yeah, there was a dropout. I'm just going to come back to yeah. And so, so in, in doing this, same thing. It's a transfer of trust, um, and I still get to use my core expertise, which I enjoy doing, and it really serves the client and really serves the coach. And then the coach will work with them that next developmental phase, which I've helped identify quickly with my uh, ability to see what's happening for that person. Yeah. And, and in that, I also still like that because I have, I am still, we are a human driven business and I have a huge interest in my clients. So I still get to touch base with my clients that I'm working with in group format every week that I'm training every week, but I get to spend that time with them yeah. and I get to know them um as people from a patterning perspective and and that helps me get that fulfillment that you're talking about from the my practitioner level as well without being bogged down so yeah. we've worked out how to use all our core skills to get the most for the client yeah yeah darren um, i'm aware of time i'm would like to wrap this up well i actually have to because i've got to go to a client um what yeah, I'd be really interested in continuing this, and I'm sure the listeners and viewers would, because we've actually sort of dug out some gold mines, but I want to get into some more of the technical things that you've been doing and how you're doing it. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to do this again and uh, as soon as possible. I mean, if you can make next week, same time, I'd be really keen. Um, I just have to check my, my scheduling because I... I have all my mentoring with my physios back to back the whole Thursday and I rescheduled something for this morning. So I've just got to see if that's possible. Um, but otherwise, um, you'll just find another time that works. No problem. Look, I, I, I really, uh, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I've really enjoyed working with you today. Mm -hmm. I just, uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. And I just think that the listeners and viewers will get a, a lot from this. So, yeah, thanks a lot for, for taking the time to do this today.